Hello everyone, Brian here. If you'd like to support the Head Games Podcast, I encourage you to check out our Patreon page over at www.patreon.com forward slash headgamespodcast, games spelled G-A-M-S, of course. There's all kinds of exclusive content and perks waiting for you over there, so please go ahead and check us out, and thank you as always for your support. everyone, and welcome to episode 13 of the Head Games Podcast. I am your host, Brian Gottlieb, and here with me as always is Mr. Jonathan Carter. Hello, Jonathan. How are you doing on this 13th episode? Are you a, a number superstition, guys? 13 is supposed to be unlucky, you know. I, I'm sure you definitely subscribe to that, right? <laughs> yeah, you, you figured me out. <laughs> no, not very superstitious. No big problem with the 13th. I do like even numbers for whatever reason. Uh, I had an ex-girlfriend who was really into even numbers. That's interesting. But uh, yeah, I'm also not not big on the kind of number superstition thing. I do carry some superstitions, but more as like, I find them fun to carry. Not necessarily <laughs> I, be- I actually have any belief in them. I just like doing silly things sometimes. Like I like playoff hockey beards. I think those are cool. Yeah. You know, traditions like that where everyone can bond around them. Always a good thing. But anyway, we're not going to get into beard talk again for two weeks in a row, I promise. <laughs> How was your past weekend? What'd you do this past week? It was cool. If I don't know if you're familiar with Extra Life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so a friend of mine, I, I only found out about it like last week, but he had been doing it previously with some organizations and he decided he was going to host an Extra Life event this past weekend. So I like scrambled to like min max it as best I could. So like I hoisted a, like the microphone for casting and like some webcams and helped them set up. But so explain Saturday, to the listeners what, what extra life is in case they uh, haven't yeah. come across it before. That'd be smart. So it's, um, it's a charity that donates money to children's hospitals. And the premise is other charities that do 24 hour events. This one is about gaming. And so people, will much like you donate to someone who's like running a race streamers will pledge that they're gonna do a 24-hour gaming marathon and they tend to be streamed over something like twitch they play all sorts of different games and all of the donations go to extra life my friend like we just had a a rotating cast of characters and games going through Um, we started at 07 saturday morning and went he, well, he finished it up Sunday morning, played all sorts of different games at his place. And it was really cool. Like some of the kids stopped by and watched on the stream. They tuned in online and, and were like typing. So that's super neat. And we just had a bunch of people throughout the day, like either coming over and hanging out and playing board games, video games, or just tuning in to watch online. Very cool. I always love when you can turn your hobbies towards charity, right? It's like the best of both worlds. And, uh, you know, over on the other podcast, the game podcast, we've had the opportunity to combine magic and charity a bunch. And it's always an awesome opportunity. It, it Obviously, gaming is a very large part of both of our lives. Right. Uh, and it, it's nice to use it for good every now and then. Not that I think it isn't like a good thing on a day-to-day basis, but some really pointed good, some really clear charity work. Yeah, it definitely was cool having, there have been numerous times in my life where I just like sit down and play games for a thousand hours. Uh, But on that day, like just played some League, played some Magic, had some of our our patrons or listeners hop on the stream. I don't stream very often, but it was cool to just like interact. And then there's like this little notification sound when someone donated and like you, you see it when you watch streamers, but like for this case, it was they were donating to this cause. So like anytime any of us heard it, we're like, ah, thank you. It's so nice. Like donating to the kids. It's awesome. Yeah, that's an awesome experience. Uh, so it sounds like you devoted a lot of time to gaming this weekend. Did that yeah. affect any other aspects of your life? I-, I know you were telling me a little story before we started. Yeah, so that night, so I woke up at 5.30 Saturday morning and I had a hockey game Technically, Saturday night, the puck dropped at 11.55 p.m. So, I went from a day of just hanging out, helping my friend with this event to straight into playing hockey after being up for, what, like 
17 hours or whatever. That seems like an optimal approach to athletic <laughs> competition, right? No problems yeah. here. That's in line with all head games principles, right? Right, right. I was following all of my own advice to a T and like this is not an attempt at a humble brag, but I played like one of the best games of hockey I've ever played. <laughs> While I absolutely enjoyed it and like felt pride, there was like this guilt in the back of my head because I'm just thinking like, man, if I tell anyone this story, like I just went in the face of like everything we recommend and then I performed really well. So, you could get this opinion like, oh, well, I mean, you performed well, so why not just do do what you did? Like just, just stay up super late and not sleep before any hockey game. And somehow I have now tricked you into telling this story to everyone, not just yeah. anyone, everyone who listens to our cast yeah. is listening to this. But I, I mean, it's a good indication and, and a good example of not allowing yourself to be results oriented, right? You had incredible results doing things you knew were bad. And look, sometimes things just break that way, right? It, yeah. It's not saying your preparation was correct. It's just you got lucky, basically. Right. Like my line played pretty good fundamental hockey and we passed a bunch and in spite of my energy, the boost of caffeine beforehand allowed me to like put the last inkling of energy left in my body into hockey to the point where I got out of the shower at home and like my body was like, you need to get to bed or we're just going to fall asleep like wherever you're standing. Yeah, I've, I've been there. I know the how the, the wear out game goes. I, I'm glad that uh, you held on to your principles despite your tremendous performance, you know, didn't talk yourself out of what's now many, many months of, of good head games delivery. <laughs> and in your case, a career based on doing these optimizations. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad this one instance didn't turn you. Hopefully repeated success, but it will not be after a repeated uh, pregame ritual like that. Good, good. You know, I wanted to touch on a little bit of an experience I had over this past week. Just a, a weird check-in, a, a weird kind of uh, hurdle I'm dealing with in my marathon prep. Mm. And obviously I'm following a schedule for training. And the problem I'm having currently is that there's rest days built into this schedule. And again, like this isn't a humble brag. This is an actual problem that I, I do consider a problem. I have a hard time taking a day off from running. Like it's becoming mm. very difficult for me at this point to just have a day where I'm not doing that kind of activity and letting my body just kind of sit there and be comfortable and, you know, have some time for, for muscle recovery and general health. Uh, it makes me antsy. It makes me uncomfortable. It makes me feel lazy. It's just weird because I know it's part of the marathon training. I know it's part of my schedule. I'm supposed to be taking a rest on that day. And just mentally, it's not clicking with me. I mean, have you ever had any kind of troubles with, you know, talking yourself out of what essentially amounts to overtraining? If I were to be running every day, that's overtraining without a doubt. There's, there's no doubt about it. And it's not the optimal approach for preparing for a marathon, but my body wants to do it anyway for some reason. Yeah, I find it from time to time with my relationship with the gym, like weeks when I'm very good about sleep and nutrition, I noticeably have a ton of energy. Wow, weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, I just want, like there's days where I'm like, it's a rest day, but I could really go to the gym. And you just have to like pump the brakes because it, it's weird because you can't feel your body repairing, but like you just have to trust that, that that's accurate because I think you will notice the effects of overtraining. It'll just be a little too late, especially in terms of running. Like you'll notice when you get injured because you wore yeah. your body out. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the other hard part about recognizing it as well is that, so I, I take my day off, I have my rest day. You would think that my experience for my next run would be like, all right, my body feels great. Everything's <laughs> you know refreshed and brand new. It's so much harder for me to run after my rest day because things sort of tighten up. Yeah. Uh, you don't have the same rhythm going. So you don't get that immediate benefit you would expect from having a day off. Your body doesn't instantly recover like that. Uh, and that's been one of the hard things to adapt to. But you know, I, I know it's right. I'm working through it. I'm taking my rest day today. I, I promise I will not run today. I have not run today. I went for a little walk. I, I feel good about that. I think that's allowed under my training schedule. But no, no running, just gym today. And uh, I will stick to that. I promise. Yeah, and something else like that I've definitely done that, and that sounds similar is uh, you can do like an active recovery day. So 
like you're not doing whatever your current fitness regimen is, but you're doing like mobility or stretching or yoga, just, just something that's still getting your body moving and it's, and it's helping out, but it's not taxing those same muscles that, that you're using in your, your running training. Yeah. I mean, yoga spot on. That's in most cases, the best thing I can possibly do for muscle recovery on those rest days. And I do try and do it at least some light stretching, if not a full yoga practice. I mean, as you know, uh, yoga practice can vary tremendously in how difficult it's going to be. And some of them are just as intense as any workout. Uh, so yeah, I have to be very selective with what I choose to do if I'm still, I think, meeting the definition of rest. But I do try and find programs that uh, do a good job of just keeping my body loose for sure. And break out that foam roller. Yeah, always good. Always good to be rolling. Okay, let's get into our main topic this week. We are back talking to our listeners again. Uh, This is our first Patreon exclusive listening to our listeners show. Uh, We sent out some surveys to some of our top tier patrons just to get their feedback on some of the things we've been talking about over the last few episodes. And we got some really tremendous responses. And I guess I'll just take a minute to while we're here and doing this episode to again, give the greatest possible thanks to all of our patrons who help us make this show on a week to week basis. We truly, truly appreciate you. And especially those of you who were able to participate in this episode, basically you've given us so much to work with, so much to talk about and your commitment to improvement and your commitment to the show is truly, truly humbling. So let's start there. Thank you. 100%. Agreed. So that being said, I want to hop right into these questions and we'll do this exactly the same as we did our last listener participation show. I will read to you the question that we presented to our listeners. We'll read a listener response and then we'll talk through it a little bit. And it, you know, we may have something very specific and pointed and some research to discuss what our patrons are experiencing, or maybe it's just a neat story that we wanted to share with everyone. Mm-hmm. We'll see where it goes. But let's get it right to the first question here. And these questions, or, or these responses, I should say, are all addressed to our question regarding burnout. And we phrase the question as such Describe a time you experienced burnout. Looking back, what are some signs you missed that indicated you were getting burned out? What do you do to rejuvenate when you notice you're experiencing burnout? And our first response is as follows. This is a fairly repetitive experience for me. I'm often called upon to fix problems within my organization. With this comes a lot of working outside the scope of my normal duties. Being the go-to leader of my unit comes with the burden of carrying more than my fair share of weight since others have chosen or do not know how to carry it themselves. The signs of my burnout usually manifest as anxiety to perform and feeling exhausted daily. Uh, My rejuvenation usually looks like me vegetating with my family or playing Magic the Gathering with my civilian friends. Giving me something to focus on, which is not work, is a blessing. Over the years, I've used numerous outlets like drag racing, painting miniatures, or playing board games. I'm currently seeking medical professionals for my struggles with burnout and overload, which is a recent endeavor. To just kick things off, props for seeking assistance with these issues. You, you've identified them and you're following kind of like what I now regard as the primary rule of the Head Games podcast, and that is seek professional help. It's always a good idea. What's your response here, Jonathan? What's your first takeaway? Yeah, I agree. I, like the, the rejuvenation recovery sounds good. It sounds like this person's over the years figured out a way, like what outlets work and maybe it's more a case of not being able to make time for those outlets, but uh, at least it's a good start of figuring out like, what are those things that help me rejuvenate? Yeah. And my worst moments of burnout, my issue has not been identifying those things. It's been getting to them, right? Like you, you know, there's this thing just over the horizon that if you just had a few minutes and could devote yourself to that task, maybe you could reboot and you just can't find the time and it, it can be devastating. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that like this person's aware of like the signs of burnout too for them. Like so this anxiety to perform that to me it sounds like they're when they're burned out, when they're asked to do these outside the scope duties or even like what they're supposed to do on a daily basis, like maybe it gives them more anxiety than normal, which if we think back to our episode on burnout, we talked about how like it it wears away those stores we have and and we're more 
apt to just jump to certain emotions. So like, I think it makes total sense. And, and to just like have that awareness, I think is an awesome start. I think that's a really good transition to our next response, which kind of touches on some of what you're, you're talking about here. So let me go ahead and read that. I think some signs I missed when I was getting burnout was me getting snappy with people. I like to think of everyone as having an internal emotional battery where your ability to bounce back from negative experiences or interactions is influenced by how charged that battery is. This sounds almost exactly like what you were saying, Mm. Jonathan. Uh, When that battery is low, I feel depressed more easily. Coworkers and work exhaust me more easily, and I lose a lot of tolerance for small things that shouldn't be a problem. They become big annoyances. And man, does this mirror my own experience. I mean, this is the primary uh, sign of burnout for me. And I will say that as I've gotten older, I think I'm better at catching it not always before it happens though. Like I still have those moments where I I just get snappy and I'm like, I I don't want to deal with this. I'm not in the mood for it. And what I've gotten better at is recognizing that apologizing after the fact, explaining, look, I'm just burnt out. I'm sorry. I had that reaction, but I, I haven't found a way to completely eliminate that from my life. It still happens from time to time for sure. Yeah, I think this battery analogy is really interesting and pretty accurate if we think about it in terms of like I'm seeing it as emotions. So this person saying that they notice that their, you know, quote unquote, emotional battery is what helps buffer or help them kind of deal with negative experiences or interactions. And so it sounds like when they're burned out, like this battery is toast and that's pretty accurate with what we we know about like research into positive emotions we know that they act as a buffer against times when our resilience or our ability to overcome adversity is tested and so if if someone's burned out like they're not going to have that buffer so we know that rejuvenation or just anything that makes us experience positive emotion builds up that that battery so that we're like a little less likely to get snappy, so to speak. Yeah, for for sure. I'm thinking back now as we talk through this to a attorney I worked under who honestly a, a tremendous attorney, really a great person to work under, but certainly had some snappiness to him and you know, if if things were not going well or not being done well, he he would tell you so and was not shy about doing so. But I'm just thinking of experiences where I would have to deliver some information or news and be dreading like, oh, this is definitely going to set so-and-so off. I, I can tell this is going to to trigger them and, and get a reaction and I would go deliver the news and they'd be completely level-headed and fine and be like, oh, okay, we can adapt to that. And you just be like, what happened right now? I think it's that. I think it's a bunch of other positive experiences building up and doing a good job of buffering this kind of you know, annoyance factor, this anger that can come from things not going well. And I see it in myself sometimes too. If a bunch of other things are going well in my life, I can just write off things that would normally annoy me. And the trick is figuring out how to charge that battery on a regular basis, right? Like how do I access it? Yeah. And I think we see it too. Like if you're with a bunch of other people who have worn out emotional battery, like you kind of help Mm. set each other off. But if there's like one person there, like I think of days where I'm Maybe I slept poorly the night before uh, and, and I go into work. But if like someone else at work is jovial and, and I'm not like too far gone where like their their happiness bothers me. But like if they're, right. they're enough to just like rub off some positive emotion in my direction, like how like that can almost build me up and, and prevent a little bit of the burnout. Sure. And the opposite can happen too. Right? Oh, yeah. Uh, if you've ever been in a really toxic work environment where everything is just kind of spiraling out of control and going downhill very quickly, you know that the despair of an undesirable working situation shared amongst a bunch of people gets amplified oh, tenfold yeah. very quickly. Yeah, very quickly. everything sucks. Yeah, yeah. And you can find a million ways to justify that. Uh, okay, one more response to this burnout question. I recently suffered a pretty severe case of burnout at work. I find my job fairly emotionally taxing and I needed a break I couldn't afford to take. I want to come back around to that point. Remind me to come back to that. There were a lot of signs I was burned out. I was calling out of work without warning, making simple mistakes, or just not trying very hard. 
In a meeting with my boss, they even said the exact words, you look like someone who is burned out. And my response to the burnout outside of work would be to take a break and come back with a fresh set of eyes. At work, I've had success with not allowing myself to take shortcuts. When I focus on how I can improve my performance, I find I'm a lot happier at whatever task I'm doing. Hmm. I like that approach to burnout. However, it does involve more work if you right. think about it. It's, it's kind of like doubling down. And I worry about maybe getting to a point where you have, again, a, a severe case of burnout as opposed to just like some occasional burnout, the type that leaves you, you know, quitting your job or leaving your job or taking breaks you can't afford to take. And that's what I wanted to get back to is that, you know, most symptoms of burnout come from the professional world. And obviously there is competitive burnout as well. We've talked about that at length, but there is an economic factor that plays into all of this decision-making, right? And it's like, I'm not sure how you're supposed to balance those things because a lot of times the financial pressures we all experience can they can translate into emotional pressures and a lack of self-care. And I mean, how do you balance these issues in your own life, Jonathan? I'll talk a little bit about how I do, but why don't, why don't you give us a peek into how you would deal with the situation where financially you're pressured to do something which you know is harmful for your well-being? Most of the times I run into periods of my life like that, it would be heavily leaning on my support system. And that obviously requires you to have a good support system. Right. But like, I think that's something I've always valued. I'm lucky enough to have some very, very long-term friends, like decades of friendship. And we're at the point where like, I don't think anyone's going anywhere. So I just, I mm -hmm. know that that I've had a close relationship with my sister. Uh, my wife is very supportive now that I'm married. Like, so I, I think that's my go-to when like, if, work and finances create this storm of burnout like that's where I lean on and whether it's to get advice or just like to call up a friend and like do something to get my mind off of it like I think that tends to be my go-to yeah something I struggled with for a long time was kind of cashing in some friendships mm. and by that I mean going to my friends and asking them to do the things for me that I know I would do for them. And th that's not to say like they're not offering it. They they, they would do it 100%, but it's on me to say, hey, look, I could use some support right now. I'm dealing with this. Or how about we, can you meet me for a, a lunch? I want to talk with you about this. Uh, and it's something that, again, I got better with as I got older. Uh, you know, another recurring theme of head <laughs> games is that like- Just get older. You can grow. <laughs> Just yeah, get older. <laughs> That's all. Eventually, we'll all hit the uh, optimal head games point, but it just takes time. That's all. Uh, no, but it's it, it's really just experience and understanding these things are okay and being comfortable with asking for help when you need it. It's hard. I, I'm not here to say it's easy. Yeah. But. And I think with that, like we don't see when other people are asking for help. And so sometimes that leads us to think that there are the, just these ironclad, nothing gets to them people out mm. in the world. And like, that's just not the case. We know like research and resilience supports that other people matter. And, and the most resilient people have some form of support structure. They have other people that they can reach out to or people that they're connected with. And just cause you're not seeing whoever you see as like this bastion of, of resilience or mental toughness reaching out for help like they have at some point you just might not see it and so embracing that i think is is a really effective strategy when we get burned out yeah i remember uh back in law school when i was working as editor-in-chief of my law review and just putting in these incredible incredible hours and just like it never stopped and one of the students who was a year below me who like basically it's like a, a hierarchy system like they're the the lower tier editors getting work from the editorial board and editor-in-chief and they came to me and they're like you know i just want to say i i think it's very impressive how composed you are and how you manage to do all this and i'm like i'm a mess right now what are you what are you talking about i have 
have no clue how I'm getting through the day. If it wasn't for my wife, I probably wouldn't eat. I wouldn't sleep. I wouldn't do any basic care for myself. But that person saw me as someone who was like composed and getting through on a day-to-day basis on my own and just powering through. And it wasn't about that at all. It was about all the people around me who were helping me and supporting mm-hmm. me for sure. It's like when you see like a duck floating along the water, they look like they're just cruising. Just gliding along. Their, their, yep. their feet are just pounding like crazy. That is a, a great, great analogy for how uh, I have often worked in my <laughs> life. Yes. Okay. Let's move on to our next question, which was about sleep. We simply asked, what is your relationship with sleep? Describe any deliberate steps or routines you use to maximize the amount of sleep you have at each night. What do you do after not sleeping enough? And we got some interesting responses here. So uh, one of the respondents said, I think I have an okay relationship with sleep. As I've moved towards my late 20s, I realized that punishing my body with exertion past its limits isn't good for me. Who knew? Who knew that was true? Uh, And my ability to recover got less and less. I feel you. Uh, I see the value of sleep now as someone who lives in a northern latitude. I'm actually extremely sensitive to the way we lose light quickly once the seasons change. As I've grown older, I made sure that any and all devices are light sensitively tuned and that I am not using substances right before bed as I know those negatively impact my sleep. More to come once I get a sleep mask. My wife sleeps with a sleep mask. She loves it. I think she sleeps much better because of it. And I recently also now living uh, in a little bit more northern latitude. I know what this person is talking about with the decreased sunlight. And certainly I knew it when I lived in the northeast. Mm -hmm. Very, very dark. It's even darker out here in the uh, upper parts of Washington. And I just bought myself a light therapy lamp. Hmm. I have no idea as to its effectiveness. <laughs> I, I literally just got it a couple of days ago and I have forgotten to use it two out of the three days I've owned it. Perfect. So I can't report back on how effective it is, but in the future, you can look forward to a review of a light therapy lamp and I can let you know if it's having any noticeable impact on me. It at least seems like the one day you did use it did not negatively infect, affect you. Yes, I didn't catch fire or anything. I confirmed I'm not a vampire, I think, which is always good to know. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it didn't negatively impact me. Uh, It's hard to say with things like that because a lot of times we can make ourselves see whatever result we want, right? If I want to believe in the effectiveness of therapy lamp, I'm sure I can find reasons for it. And if I don't, I can find reasons for that as well. You know, you kind of have to rely on science. And me personally, the science I've seen is in favor of this type of approach. I don't know if there's counter science. Is this something you've come across before? Have you done any, uh, you know, studying on these light therapy lamps? Uh, I haven't dug extensively into it, but anything that's coming to mind is favorable. Like I know it's something that often is recommended when people have like seasonal affective disorder or anything like right. that. So it, it makes total sense to me. And what I like in this response is like the the person seeing the value of sleep. I think we've talked about that quite a bit. I think it's still something that I mean, like even I sometimes we just push sleep down the like the value hierarchy. Of course. But like the the lamp that you're talking about, the sleep mask, just people spending some dollars to up the the quality of their sleep makes so much sense. Like we spend money on such dumb stuff all the time. Why not yeah, make your sleep yeah. better? <laughs> uh, I, I want to talk more about this. Let me read this next response because this also does a nice job uh, leading into this this idea of what we spend money on. Sure. This person says, my sleep is terrible. I have chronic lower back pain developed over my years, jumping out of airplanes and carrying very heavy backpacks through rough terrain. I can understand why that could cause some back issues. Yeah, yes. This keeps me awake quite a bit. And I've recently been diagnosed with insomnia. I'm seeking, seeing medical professionals for my sleep issues. Awesome again. Rock on. So far, I'm taking new medication to assist me in sleeping through the night. It seems to be working well. I now get six or seven hours of sleep as opposed to the zero to four I usually had been getting. Uh, I definitely subscribe to my bed is only for sleeping. So that's a win for you, Jonathan. Yeah. I don't stare at electronics or anything while in my bed. Of note, I also purchased a new bed. Uh, to help with my back pain. It's done wonders to let me wake with little to no back pain compared to my older style mattresses. And this is where I'm going to give my spiel on what I choose to spend a lot of money on. Pull up your soapbox. (laughs) Yeah. So this is what works for me. I'm fine if you don't 
agree with this theory. We all, you know, have to point our disposable income somewhere and whatever brings you joy is probably where you should be pointing it. I Mm -hmm. respect that. But for me, I've learned to prioritize things which I touch on a daily basis Mm -hmm. and things that basically are dictating my comfort. So something like a bed or a mattress, I will happily spend a lot of money on. A car that I have to spend a large amount of time in, I I should preface that I don't seek out, say, a luxury brand, but I'll certainly spend for, you know, better seating options and, you know, just generally things that make the car more comfortable. Mm -hmm. Things like uh, winter clothing. So my very young experiences trying to learn how to ski. I hated it. I remember being all snowy and uncomfortable and wet. And then when I learned snowboarding late in life, I had top of the line snow pants, you know, a a really good jacket, great gloves, and it became a very comfortable experience. I'm big on spending money to make myself comfortable. And this type of thing, buying a sleep mask, buying a therapy lamp, buying a mattress, it just has so much more value to me than buying something like a name brand shirt or any kind of basically status or luxury item. I put so far below things that I actually use and touch and experience on a daily basis. Yeah, I have a pretty similar approach. Uh, And I can think as far back, like when I was a teenager, I I did retail a lot. I think a lot of people had that experience. And also I I like uh, worked in the food industry, bartending, all that similar I know you've experienced this and like, I always made it a point to have shoes that were like comfortable if I'm going to be standing in them for shoes or another one. Yeah. Like things I I like your, your categorizing of just things that you're touching for like a long period of your day. (laughs) Actually, I can't take credit for it, but I used to have an awful computer chair and going in spite of everything I'm saying right now, but my wife and friends bought me like one of those sweet gaming ones and it's like a massive upgrade on me using my computer all the time i have a herman miller aeron it was about a thousand dollars and it was worth every penny there's actually two in my house one for me and one for my wife because we both spend an incredible amount of time at our computer and you know dumping money into that is a lot of money sure i I don't discount that and i also respect that not everyone has that to spend and i understand that but I was in a position where I did, and rather than spend it on, you know, other more frivolous things. Yeah, exactly. This this was the thing I wanted. And I think the improvement of sitting in a comfortable chair like that, what it gives to my life is worth so much more than so many other things I could have spent the money on. Yeah. So I, I think putting that towards sleep is a really smart decision. Or like I, I recently got glasses for the first time in my life and I made sure that my like first pair of glasses are good because I look through them like all day now. But it's it's awesome to hear our patrons taking these deliberate steps either in the, the stuff they're using to make their sleep better or like the other experts they're seeking out. All of that is going to pay dividends. Yeah, for sure. These are all people who are taking what you're talking about very seriously and doing a, a great job of applying it. And that's really humbling to see. I really, I really mm-hmm. like that. Uh, I want to read one more response here about sleep. I love sleep. I probably don't do it enough, but I love it. I get roughly 6.5 to 7.5 hours of sleep a day, sometimes a 30 to 45 minute nap in the day somewhere, but that's not that often. Uh, 95% of the time, I'm an incredibly chipper and jovial fellow. I always felt like this amount was okay for me. If I'm allowed to sleep as long as I can, I'll sleep maybe 8 to 8.5 hours, rarely more. Uh, I've been on an eight to five work schedule for over a decade, so it's kind of just a natural thing for me. My girlfriend sleeps far more than I do. We're the same age, and she gets about 9.5 hours of sleep a day, obviously showing that different people need different amounts of sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says she damn near has to have that level of sleep, and I, I totally believe that. says he usually plays games for a couple hours after the kids go to bed, uh, then night shift mode my phone, do stuff and read, go to bed. Strongly prefer a fan to sleep using like white noise. Uh, I agree with that approach 100%. Uh, Also prefers to wear a face mask or some kind of eater of light, various charging lights and clock and stuff that just bleed enough light that 
they hate it. Uh, much like the fan can sleep with some light, just strongly prefer not to for maximum comfort. <laughs> As for if I don't get enough sleep, it's rare, but I get the same sensations I did when I was a kid sacrificing nights of sleep to play video games. I'm going to be kind of drunk-like, forgetful as hell, and all around a mess. It's almost fun, but it's totally a bad idea. Agreed. Uh, so this was this was Jonathan playing hockey at midnight. Yeah. Drunk-like and forgetful, you know, maybe missing a shift at some point uh, when he was supposed to change lines and not realizing it. Something. Yeah. But this sounds like someone who's thought about their sleep pattern uh, has taken some pronounced steps to address it, uh, recognizes their partner's need for a different schedule of sleep and adapting to it, which is an important thing to do. I think I remember when my wife and I were like trying to go to bed at the same time. And we do occasionally, but for the most part, our sleep is just a little bit different. And rather than force it, we are just okay with that now and, you know, go go to sleep when it's time to go to sleep for each of us and, and don't really worry about lining up schedules because not everyone's schedule is going to line up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we generally go into bed at the same time. She'll likely fall asleep first and I get up first, but... Like, I think we're just so used to that rhythm that it doesn't impact things. I like this person talking about like the, I mean, their their method for dealing with all the lights is their eater of light face mask. Uh, it reminded yeah. me, we had someone in the Discord the other day who I guess listened to our our sleep episodes recently. So just to that, like we're, we're attempting to have a lot of these episodes so you can go back to them whenever or if you miss one, like it's not a big deal. Like the stuff can be used whenever but they mentioned that they like put tape over i think all of the leds in their room and then they got like blackout curtains and they too rec recognized how much better their sleep is so i promise i'm not lying to y'all like tr tr try this stuff out <laughs> i i do trust you i still haven't done anything to address it yet though i like the sleep mask idea because it's a, a much cleaner way of doing these wholesale yeah. changes I think I'm heading to Amazon right after we finish this cast and I'm going to have one sent to my door and we'll see what we can do with a sleep mask and see if that has any effect. I'll report back sometime soon. Yeah. Let me know how it is okay. before I go get one. You can be the guinea pig. That's fine. I'm fine with that. Okay. So we're going to move on to nutrition now. And we asked a very simple question here on a scale of one to 10 with one being the least pleased and 10 being the most pleased. How would you rate your relationship with food and nutrition? explain. Let's start with this response. This person identifies their relationship with nutrition as a six. I don't think I have the best relationship with food. I know that when I'm stressed out or want to relax, food is one of the things I go to to help me with that. What's helped me a lot with nutrition is working out actually. When I've been working out, I actually tend to eat cleaner or healthier than I normally do because I'm focused on fueling my body as opposed to eating for enjoyment. The enjoyment I get from eating, I get from doing other things like the endorphins from lifting. That's an unexpected correlation I've noticed in my behavior. Exercise doesn't make me binge eat more. It actually helps me eat less. 100% hmm. agree. Yeah. And if, if there's like a corollary to my agreement, there are times when this is something I don't experience in periods when I'm not exercising a lot, but there will be times when my body screams at me for food. Mm. And to me, that's just operating at a calorie deficit. Like mm -hmm, I've tasked mm -hmm. my body with something very difficult and I respond to that with clean food, fruit, maybe a, a banana, a, a protein shake, something like that. But I, I, can't, I can't agree more. The workout process does a lot to get me on the right track when it comes to eating. And one of the reasons is just like, well, I just busted my ass for two hours on a run am I really going to come back and eat a pizza? I, I'm not going to say the answer has never been yes. I promise you I have completed a 10 mile run and come back and gotten a pizza in my life. But there's also a set of experiences where I can draw kind of strength from my past workout and use that to dissuade me from eating poorly. Yeah. I, I For me, it's less the case of it makes me eat less because my body just in general requires an absurd amount of calories when I'm physically active. But a few years ago, I was lifting or fitnessing competitively, you know, like CrossFit-y type stuff. So at that point, I was working out twice a day 
uh, I was like doing Olympic lifts in the morning and then more of like a metabolic conditioning thing in the afternoon. So I needed a ton of calories. And like at that point, like what I was intaking was just calculated. So I, I knew how much I had to eat every day, but it was definitely noticeable the days when I ate crap versus the days that I ate proper clean, like clean's like a loose word, but just like food that's not junk food. Mm. And, and like I would notice it because I was timing all of my workouts and measuring all of my lifts. Like I could notice it numerically the days after I like ate a pizza or something like I, I would lose seconds on, on workouts. Do you think you were kind of buying into a self-fulfilling prophecy in terms of some of these things, some of these things, like you knew you had a pizza the day before and that was in your head as you were doing your, you know, whatever exercise you were having to do and, and you let that influence your workout or do you think it's because there shouldn't be that quick of a, correlation between the food you've put into your body and your ability to do a specific task, right? I, I mean, assuming you have the calories you need to function, you should still be able to do the task at the same level. Yeah. I don't know. They're like, I've never one that's like ever really felt guilty around food, like even then, because uh -huh. it was, it was still more just like I'm doing, I'm lifting for fun and I'm a competitive person so I can add a competitive element to it. And I was taking it super seriously, but I don't think that I would have had that level of guilt to make that be my belief. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It, it just could be freak or like unrelated, but I definitely can feel days when I eat crappy. It resembles like a hangover of sorts. Yeah. The carb hangover, right? I've heard people say that before. And I talked a little bit in the past about a diet that I used to do that I, I don't want to mention my name because I am not sure it's actually beneficial. But part of this diet system was a cheat day. And the goal on that cheat day was not to just like, okay, now you get a little bit of this. The goal was to actually make yourself sick and to eat as much as you possibly can to keep your body from going into basically any kind of starvation mode because your intake during the rest of the week was very, very limited. So basically the premise of this diet was you could trick your body and, and never hit that kind of starvation mode where you stop burning fat as effectively and, and start trying to store it instead by having these incredible binge days. And when I tell you, because I was doing a lot of body measurement at the time, I could gain 13 or 14 pounds in one of these days. I'm not exaggerating. I, pr I promise you I've stepped on the scale plus 14 pounds on several occasions. The way I felt on the day after that was like I had been on a week-long bender, basically. It was just an absolute disaster. One of the many reasons I will not ever say the name of this diet yeah. on this cast because I, I just am not convinced about it, although the results were fantastic. <laughs> but it was a very strange experience, and there was certainly some of that hangover type effect you're you're talking about right now. Yeah, and, and like this is all anecdotal, and we've mentioned before neither of us are are dietitians, but I, I think this answer and just listening to both of our experiences, there's a lot to be gained by listening to your body and and the way this person is doing that makes sense. Like they they've noticed like the effect that fitness has on their eating and they they've seen like the the benefits of what that does. And I think if you're listening to that part of your body when it comes to food, it, it makes a lot of sense. And like it, it gets you to the, a point where it's just a lot easier to to feel what your body actually needs to function on a daily basis. And, and like that tends to lead to a healthy relationship with food, be it whatever your goals are. Right. Yeah. I mean, my advice here is just lean on that feeling, mm -hmm. right? You've identified it. You know how to motivate yourself. You know, let it fuel you. Let it push you to do new and greater things. I want to move on to weaknesses now. As as usual, we'll keep our discussion of nutrition brief because I think it's a very complicated topic that is in neither one of our realms of expertise, uh, but I did want to touch on it there. So we're going to talk about weaknesses and we asked our listeners to name and describe two of your greatest weaknesses. In what ways are these weaknesses impeding your ability to perform at your best? And let me read this first response. Seems funny, but I am drawing a blank here. I am positive I have weaknesses, though. I must. <laughs> What's your response to that assessment of weakness? 
I'm pretty positive you do too. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. And it, and it seems like just the lighthearted response here, like this person understands. I think it's really interesting. I think alleviates, like, like Brian and I had some concerns before we did our weakness episode because we were, we were wondering how it was going to be received to like listen to us, analyze ourselves and go into it. And I know we found the the process useful and I'm, I'm hoping most of you did too, but it just points to the fact that the, the self-awareness isn't always hard. And like, I know when I was thinking about what I was going to talk about on that episode, like it took me some, like a good amount of time to, to weigh what are the weaknesses I have that are not pervasive, but like recurring and significant and not just something silly. Like, like I can't roll my tongue, like, just, just mm-hmm. like like useless stuff. So I, I think this person, I don't know, like when you have some time, just think about, it doesn't have to be some massive character deficit, but just think about what are those even small aspects of your performance or of your daily life that get in the way sometimes. Because I agree there are likely weaknesses there, but who knows, maybe you are in fact a superhero, in which case let's work together. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that, like you said, I think this person is aware that there's probably something they can point to, but it is challenging in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, if I just throw this question at you, which essentially we did to our listeners, it's not necessarily something you're going to have on the tip of your brain, and it might take some time to work through. And I think this just speaks in favor of like assigning some of that time to yourself. Don't be afraid to reflect on you, on your personality, on who you are. Uh, and taking a moment to do that from time to time can yield some dividends as, like you said, it did for us when we went through that process. I, I found it very beneficial to talk through weaknesses, even if it was a little scary. And uh, you know, I didn't know how folks would receive it because you're almost necessarily painting yourself at your worst when you're giving your summation of your weaknesses, especially if you identify them as something that has a fairly pronounced effect on your life. So it, it, it's tough to do. It's tough to lay out your weaknesses, but I do think there's benefit in it for sure. Mm-hmm. Another response we have here. So this person identified their two greatest weaknesses as such. The first one was, I lack follow through. I'm very good at recognizing a problem, analyzing why that problem occurred and identifying what could be done better in the future. And then inevitably I've spent so much energy on this process that I don't actually make steps to address what's in front of me in the moment. Let's just talk about these one at a time. Mm-hmm. What's your takeaway from this weakness? I think it's it, it's interesting. There's like a strength in there, like the, the idea mm-hmm. of recognizing the problem. But it, it sounds like some stuff that we talked about. Like I think back to when we talked about some of our experiences with fitness, how like I, I know I've gotten all caught up on the – recognizing the problem, so to speak, of like, here's what I'm attempting to solve. Like I'm attempting to gain strength and here's how I'm going to do it. And here's my 77 point plan. And like, it got to the point where like I was spending so much energy on this process of figuring out what I'm going to do for fitness that like taking the first step to then actually do it is massive. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's the breaking point, right? You figured these things out and now what are you going to do about it? Look, this person is not alone. Uh, I've had this problem many points in my life. I still have it to some extent to this day. It's just, I think a lot of times with strategic thinkers, we love figuring out the answers to the problem Mm -hmm. and we don't like actually executing them. That's something I experience all the time in my life. Like, okay, I know how to solve this. Here's what we have to do. And then it comes time to actually do that thing. And I'm like, well, this task is kind of boring. I don't really (laughs) want to do this. I I already solved it. And honestly, that was kind of my problem with lawyering is on a broad scale, I enjoyed figuring out legal problems. I, I really did. I was passionate about it. And legal education was kind of a hit for me for that reason, because that's kind of what it is. You have to broadly identify problems and you know, paint with a very wide brush as to how you would answer those problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to legal practice, it's a lot of very meticulous grunt work that actually solves problems. And you may have made that long-term plan, but it's going to take 
20 briefs and 10 filings and so many, many things to actually get to that point. And that's where the legal practice kind of broke down for me. So I I think I just shared this weakness with this person. I I think it's very much the same thing that I experience, And I think it has a lot to do with what I enjoy about problem solving. It's about finding that broad answer and not actually executing. Yeah, I think part of it too is we've talked about inertia before or just like how hard it is to take a first step towards things. Yeah, like solving the problem obviously is doing something, but clearly that part doesn't take effort for this, uh, at least like deliberate effort to get going. Like it it sounds like you give this person a puzzle and they're like, okay, I'm I'm ready. I'm going to figure out what could be done better. I'm going to recognize a problem and analyze it similar to what you're saying you do, but then finding that first step to take action and what's in front of them is a lot harder. So I just think it's about like how small can you break down that first step to the point where like, can we get it small enough that there's something so small and so easy that it's like a quick win. And those like we've, we've talked in the past, how like both of us have had experience where you, you start getting a couple of those quick wins or, or you start checking off things on your to-do list and, and you just get going. And once that like snowball starts, it's like a lot easier to go. So I think here it's, it's even smaller than taking a first step. It's like, can I like, move my big toe to start making a first step. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Break it down as small as possible. Uh, So (laughs) I really want to tell a story right now about I had a roommate in college who had, he's an absolute crazy person. He still is to this day in like a very lovable way. Like I I love the guy to death, but uh, he's completely mad. And I want to share how he dealt with this problem in his life, but it's not podcast appropriate. So next time any of you see me out somewhere, <laughs> I want to share this story and I'll tell you after the show, John. Okay. But a little uh, a little Easter egg for when you next catch me in person and I'll share the story of how uh, my college sweet mate dealt with the weakness of lacking follow through. Nice. Uh, even in the Discord. I'll share it over in the dis- Discord okay, as well if cool. people want to ask over there. But not here. Okay. So let's move on to the next weakness here. This person has identified another weakness as having a lot of anxiety about people liking me. I don't think I get a ton of validation in my life and essentially makes me constantly second guess myself and my opinions. As a result, I edit myself a lot. I've probably written this particular submission four or five times. I'll second guess myself during competition often, and it can lead to a waffling that makes me perform poorly. Again, not alone, 100% with you. And uh, to some extent, I think most people on the planet have this same anxiety regarding people liking you and respecting you. And this ties into like imposter syndrome again, you know, am I actually good at what I think I'm good at? All those things come up. Unfortunately, no easy answer as we've talked about many times, but I just want to share you're not alone. You know, if I'm writing one of my weekly articles I write, I edit every paragraph a million times. It's just how I approach things. And, you know, you, you identify this as a weakness and it can be, but it can also be a strength. The fact that you're very focused on how people perceive you probably makes you more pleasant to be around in a lot of instances. You're very self-aware, it sounds like. And you know, if you've come across people who truly lack self-awareness, and there aren't that many on the planet, I, th- I think we stick that label on a lot of people who don't always deserve it. But there are certainly people who just have no concept whatsoever of how they're being perceived by others and how their behavior is affecting others you know they can be very unpleasant people to be around. You know, having some degree of self-awareness is a benefit. And I understand it can get out of whack sometimes and get carried too far. But, you know, as often is the case with both weaknesses and strengths, they're kind of dichotomous. They can be both strengths and weaknesses at the same time. I think I have a hot take here. Let's hear it. And so, like, I'll start with the the other half of it. I think part of this goes back to finding a support system and I don't, that, that doesn't just mean like finding friends or family or like people who will be there to support you. Uh, I think it goes a little beyond that in that we all need support in different areas. So for, for this person, it sounds like finding a person who knows how to help you 
recognize your successes. Like that might be where the validation comes from. I also Mm -hmm. think that in general, people worry too much about what other people think. That's really easy to say. Right. But it is really freeing. And I'm not saying like, don't care, just like run in, stomp on everybody, like be a jerk, but like to, to find value in your own success and like be the person that you're trying to impress, like impress yourself and just like stop worrying. Like, like on this podcast, I, I obviously cared about your opinion and we talk like before we even started this, I was like, Hey, like, I hope I, I know what you think I know and this will work. But at the end of the day, if we started talking and you're like, well, you, you clearly don't know what you're talking about. Like I, I, I have a successful career in performance psychology. Like one person's opinion of it isn't going to shatter my, my like internal belief. It doesn't feel good. I'm not saying that, but I, I think there's like a balance here of trying to be able to recognize like being your own cheerleader. Mm. I, I think balance mm-hmm. is, is exactly right. Like, you know, I, I don't know that we're necessarily taking different stances. Yeah. I, I think we I think we view it the same way, but it's just like I'm acknowledging the side when balance isn't isn't good, when right, it's a little right, bit out right. of whack and leaning a little bit too hard towards people's opinions. But you're spot on. You you have to find internal validation because if you're seeking it from outside, that's not something you can control, right? And we talk a lot about focusing on what you can control, what you can change. And while you can change the behaviors that might affect people's evaluation of you, their evaluation still is ultimately theirs and you don't right. have direct control over it. Yeah. And and like you can eventually build a support system that creates that validation, but it's got to start from you too. Like if you can't figure out your own success. Like it's, it's really hard to expect someone else to do that in place of you. I think that's not a hot take. I think that's an excellent take and, and probably excellent advice. I do care what you think on some level, but I also know that I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, that's, that's where you need to be. I mean, you're exactly right. That's the key to being comfortable and finding success. It needs, it needs to be both 100%. I agree with you. Let's move on to some strengths. We asked our listeners, name and describe two of your top strengths. In what ways did these strengths help you in competition? How could you bring more of your best self to your performances? And here's our first response. It reads, I think I'm a systems thinker. So I do well when I can analyze beyond the board state. And I think board state is kind of an analogy for the surface picture of what's going on. Uh, This really helps fight results-oriented thinking. Good. Because I'm more concerned with the ebbs and flows of something than the exact techniques and strategies. From my perspective, I see myself as someone who is ready to win wars and doesn't get overly focused on battles. The other major strength I think I have is archiving knowledge. I love to collect knowledge and pieces of information. So when I'm studying something, you can trust that I will be a useful repository of information. In my head, I'm an archivist. Or is it archivist? How do you pronounce that word? Archivist, I think. That sounds right. I'll trust you on this one. I know I can bring more of myself when I have been practicing meditation and I'm not attaching ego to my results. I can see beyond the game or competition in those moments. This feels like a very kind of like Zen Buddhist answer. Mm. Are you getting some of that vibe in this answer? Yeah. Yeah. And I like that. I like Zen Buddhism. I've certainly uh, read about it quite a bit. And I think this is a great analysis of a strength. This is something that's very ethereal and very, you know, kind of hard to pinpoint, but this person has still done the self-work. The They've turned the lens inward and been able to find this as one of their strengths. And I don't think this is an easy one to identify at all. Mm-hmm. I think what's also really important is it's not just naming the strength here, it's understanding what it looks like while being used. So this idea that, you know, this person knows that they can bring themselves more when they've been meditating or they're not attaching ego to results and, and what it's like in those competitive moments when that's the feeling that they're experiencing. Like that's when this systems thinking is in full force and is in actual strength. Like I'm sure, I'm sure there's situations in their life where it gets in the way and it's maybe not the strength they need to be pulling on, but, but they know 
okay, here's the tool and here's how I can use it and how I've seen myself use it. Right, right. The tool's only worth so much, right? It needs to right. be the application of it where uh, you're getting paid on it. And I think this person did a great job of that. This is a really nice assessment of a strength. Uh, let's let's hit one more, one more strength here. So this respondent said, I'm a great listener. I'm good at finding the essence of what someone has to say, and I read people's tone well. This helps me during preparation for competition because I can synthesize information from different people. In a match of magic, I tend to have a pretty accurate intuition about what my opponent is up to, but I have trouble trusting myself. I could lean on my listening skills more in those situations. This was kind of like a journey in this answer, right? Like there's a, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, it sounds like they recognize a strength that's like in a, in their day to day, like mm-hmm. just walking around the world, talking to other people. I'm good at listening, and then an idea of how it starts to help with competition, but then recognizing like that they're not fully bringing this part of themselves to competition or like aspects of competition. It sounds like yep. I think that's really common. Like even like if we were to reflect on the strengths that you and I shared, I'm sure there are parts of our life where we could bring those strengths more fully and we would benefit from it. And mm. it sounds like that's what this person's identified here. Yeah, that's that's a great point. You know, we've done the work now. We've talked so much about strengths and it's kind of easy to stop there, right? Mm-hmm. And just say, okay, I got my strengths. Uh, I'm done with this now. But the real work is thinking about how you move them to other aspects where you're not currently applying them. That's how you get paid on your strengths. Uh, and it seems like this person's doing a nice job of doing that just in the course of answering this question. And I want to give this listener an assignment. And you can do this at a, a low stakes tournament. I think that's fine because it's going to be weird for you and it's going to be hard and difficult to do. But I want you to trust yourself completely and don't second guess yourself one time the next match of magic you play. Just let go. Let go. Be willing to be wrong. Be willing to make an absolute fool of yourself over the course of the match and to look back and say, wow, I did everything wrong. But in that moment, you're not going to have any of that. You're just going to play completely free. I want to share an experience from my tennis play, which is not something I think I've talked about here. I remember a time I was playing with my cousin where not quite evenly matched. I, I generally beat him fairly badly on a regular basis. If he's listening, yeah, I'm coming for you next time. Um, so, But we do have good games. They're competitive. They're interesting. It's just I tend to come out ahead in the end. And we had this one time where we were playing and we played at a court that we weren't usually playing at. I don't remember what was going on with our regular court, but we pulled up to this court and we got there and the nets were strung really loosely. So in tennis, generally there's like a a tight steel cable that runs through the net and keeps the net at a certain level. And on this court, it was dipping a little bit. And there's usually some dip in a tennis net, but it was pronounced here. And what that does to your shot is let you put an entirely different angle on your shot. And you can really shoot very, very aggressively when the net's a little bit lower than it's supposed to be because everything, you know, tennis is a game of millimeters. You're trying to squeak the ball at as low of an angle as possible over the net so you can get as much juice on it as possible. And in this instance, we were playing on a court with a sagging net and we just let it rip. Like I remember hammering at each other, just bashing shots across the court. And, you know, I think in that moment, if you had watched us, you'd be like, these guys are solid tennis players, like obviously not professional level, but you'd assume like, you know, college competition wouldn't be outside the realm of expectation. And we were just slamming the ball at each other. And it was obviously based on the lower net. Like there's a bigger room for error, but we fed off of each other. We had the same kind of belief like, oh, I can hit this shot now. Uh, It's going to be fine. I can let myself go. And then what was crazy was the next time we played, we brought it to a different court with a higher net and we did the same thing. And the tone of our matches changed overnight. They were played on Mm. a completely different basis. And it's funny because he and I, we compete at a lot of things with each other. We had almost the exact same experience in ping pong where we were playing like what I call fairly typical ping pong where you're just like standing at the table. We're both, again, good at ping pong, but not great. 
And then there's, there was just this game we played where we're like standing six feet back from the table and taking full arm swings and smashing the ball at each other. And we just fed off of each other and, and had this competitive dynamic. And from that point, our game evolved to look more like how you see Olympic ping pong played in a very large space, like standing back from the table and taking full swings. And it all came from like one moment where we just trusted ourselves. And it was a, a combined thing there. So maybe even find a partner to play these games with. Mm. and and let yourself play magic completely off the rails with full trust and see what kind of results that produces for you. Yeah, and see what they see in it. Yeah, yeah, check in, see see if you can notice something different. Because with a physical sport, it's easier to see something, right? Like you can say, oh, we're hitting the ball much harder than we typically do. With a mental sport, it's a little bit different. But mm-hmm. I believe this same level of trust and decision-making applies to magic as does to physical sports like tennis. Yeah, I, want, I would love to to hear back from this uh, this listener in a later question and just see how that went. Sure, absolutely. Or not just, just know just know that that they did it and that it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Shoot <laughs> us an email. Shoot us a, a message on the Discord. We're happy to check in on that. I think this about wraps up our look at our listener responses. Again, I just want to thank all of our listeners for the incredibly thoughtful awesome responses. This was a lot of fun to go through. I feel like I learned a lot. I, I thought about a lot of things I hadn't thought about before, and I hope it was beneficial to the people who responded as well. Both Jonathan and I are always happy to talk more about this stuff. We're over in the the Game Podcast family Discord. We are available by email, headgamespodcast at gmail.com. You can always reach out to us, and we're happy to chat more. And we're going to come back next week. I think we might have a special guest, maybe. We're mm-hmm. working on it. I, I can't guarantee it 100%, but we're, we're trying to get a special guest signed up. And I think people are going to be really excited to hear that. So come back next week when we play some more head games. Head games.